Welcome to Minnesota Matters. I'm Scott Peterson, and I'm joined by MNN's Bill Werner, Tasha Radel, and Mike Grimm. We're going to delve into what's going on in the North Star State. If it matters in Minnesota, we've got it covered. This week, the head of the Minnesota Nurses Association on developments in the fight against COVID, the St. Paul Winter Carnival returns after a year off, and Golden Gopher lineman Axel Rushmeyer. But first, it was not a good week at the state capitol for frontline workers in Minnesota who are waiting for their share of $250 million the legislature appropriated for COVID bonuses. If the frontline workers performed uh, like this legislature has performed in the last six months, we would be in much worse shape in this state. Scott, that is House Democratic Majority Leader Ryan Winkler. After a working group, the legislature tasked with recommending how that money should be distributed could not break their long-standing deadlock and ended up this week sending two competing proposals to the legislature, possibly for a much-delayed special session, but more likely for next year's regular session. I'll explain in just a minute why it might take that long. But first, why the two sides couldn't agree after months of wrangling. New Hope Representative Cedric Frazier says Republicans' plan... excludes tens of thousands of workers, some of our lowest-wage workers some of the workers that had the highest spread of COVID. Republicans responded with only $250 million allocated. To have a meaningful bonus, only a narrower group should be eligible for those bonuses, those in direct care of COVID patients and therefore at the highest risk, specifically nurses, first responders, corrections officers, long-term care workers, and hospice providers. Every week we drag this out is another week that these frontline workers are not getting their money. Stillwater Republican Senator Karen Housley. Democrats responded. Many Minnesotans other than health care workers as essential personnel had to show up every day and also face the risk of COVID. As is typical at the Capitol, each side blaming the other for the working group's deadlock. What I am not hearing from my GOP colleagues is an offer to move towards us. It's time to end this political theater. You just get tired of pushing this further and further down the road. But there is plenty of blame to go around. Not only can't both sides agree, there's no pressure for them to agree because of other issues. It began with Senate Republicans disliking what they label state government's heavy-handed response to COVID, threatening to oust Health Commissioner Jan Malcolm. Democratic Governor Tim Walz responded frontline workers need COVID bonuses, but he said he won't call a special session so Republicans can remove the state's top health official during a pandemic. A short time later, the governor proposed the legislature mandate COVID testing and vaccinations for teachers and school staff, a definite no for Republicans. Senate Republicans then responded with a proposal to rein in any possible future use by walls of COVID emergency powers. You can see why things are deadlocked. This means that uh, we have yet another issue to take to the regular session. Said House Majority Leader Ryan Winkler, acknowledging that although there could be high-level discussions before then, the next action on the issue might not come until next year. Lawmakers are back in St. Paul January 31st for the 2022 regular session. No callback by the governor required. And the question is, will Senate Republicans then do what they have threatened and oust Health Commissioner Malcolm? Or will that issue continue to be intertwined with others, including perhaps COVID bonuses for frontline workers. Minneapolis Mayor Jacob Fry had a nearly 20-point lead over his closest challenger in a poll released this week just before Tuesday's election in the City of Lakes. The survey by ALG Research 
hired by a group that opposes the Charter Amendment to reorganize the Minneapolis Police Department, showed Fry with 44% to Sheila Nezhad's 25% in a first round of ranked choice voting simulation. Kate Knuth, a distant third at 10%, 13% undecided. Carleton College political analyst Stephen Shear deems those poll results very significant. Fry's support being at about 44% is a pretty strong indication that there are a lot of people who are skeptical about the Charter Amendment, and therefore it may be difficult to pass. Shear puts the hard core of support at around 35% for that proposed Charter Amendment. Ballot question 2, which would replace the Minneapolis Police Department with a Department of Public Safety that would include trained professionals to respond to emergencies involving substance abuse, mental health, and homelessness. The remaining number of armed officers is unspecified, but the current requirement for a certain number of officers per capita would be dropped. That issue heated up further when Minneapolis Police Chief Madaria Arredondo publicly questioned whether the ballot measure would improve public safety in the city of Lakes. Arredondo cautioned against voting for a measure to reimagine public safety without a solid plan. I was not expecting some sort of robust, detailed, word-for-word plan, but at this point, quite frankly, I would take a drawing on a napkin. And I've not seen either. The group Yes for Minneapolis, which crafted the ballot question, responded Chief Arredondo, quote, campaigning in uniform and explicit contradiction of the policy he himself wrote last year is one of many examples why structural change is imperative to keep the people of Minneapolis safe. Scott? Thank you, Bill. Minnesota Matters returns after this. Minnesota Rural Electric Cooperatives. Who are we? We're your neighbors, co-workers, and friends. That's right, we live and work in the community too. Because of that, we're committed to making sure our electric services stay reliable, affordable, and safe. Throughout the state, Minnesota electric co-ops work independent of each other, but with the same goal, provide power to Minnesota. You have so many other things to worry about. Your electricity isn't one of them. Minnesota Rural Electric Cooperatives, bringing power to the people of Minnesota. Ranger Station. Yeah, hi. I'd like to report a bear sighting in the forest. Uh-huh. One second I'm having a smoke. Next thing I know, I'm face-to-face with Smokey Bear. Wow. And he told me it only takes one spark to start a wildfire. Did you know nine out of ten wildfires are caused by humans? I had no idea. That's why Smokey's famous and you're not. If you see someone in danger of starting a wildfire, step in and make a difference. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service, your state forester, and the Ad Council. Learn more at SmokeyBear.com. Only you can prevent wildfires. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. Frontline healthcare workers have been one of the constants throughout the COVID-19 pandemic, and it's been taking a toll on many who continue their life-saving work 20-plus months later. Tasha Radel has more. Joining me today is Minnesota Nurses Association President Mary Turner. Mary, I'm going to start with this question. How are you guys holding up? Well, first of all, um, you know, as everyone is very, should be very aware, we're in our fourth wave of this pandemic. It's gone on for longer than 20 months. And, um, you know, I myself, being a COVID ICU nurse, um, it, it's at times very discouraging. I, I remember that weekend oh, before the Delta variant took off where we actually had no patients in our ICU that were COVID. And we were we were celebrating, you know, we were going, oh, we've made it, we finally made it. 
And then the very next weekend, the Delta variant hit. And um, our, our hospitals are full. You know, my morning paper said 96% full, the ICU beds, and that is true. And here's the difference between now and at the beginning of the pandemic. There's less of us at the bedside. You know, um, we've left for uh, a change. You know, we just can't do it anymore. People have left. They've said, that's it, I'm going to retire early. They've left to go to school. They've left to stay home with their kids. Uh, and so the people who are left are, you know, they've been call, uh, calling out double pay and bonus pay um, for the weekend. Um, they started doing that on, on Monday. I, and every hospital is trying to come up with bonuses and things like that to motivate the nurses to come in more work longer hours and work more hours. And, you know, at some point, no amount of money is going to, you know, you just get tired of doing that because even that, even that runs out. And as far as being able to get uh, travelers and agency, um, you know, they're needed everywhere. And so the, because the pool is smaller, there's less of us. It's, it's, it's a huge strain. It's a huge strain. Um, but but the patients just keep coming in. So I, I don't know. It, it feels like it's never-ending sometimes. It really does. And um, I think we're in a very precarious spot right now in Minnesota, but it, it seems to kind of go up and down around the nation. I'm going to switch gears a bit. Uh, as we know, COVID bonuses for Minnesota's frontline workers could be delayed until next year after a special panel this week couldn't break its deadlock and sent two competing proposals to the legislature. Each side is pointing fingers at the other. Your thoughts? Yeah, you know, and here's the thing is I've, I've been, I have testified, I've been in the thick of this whole battle with that essential worker bill. And I have stood on the line with not only healthcare workers, but people from all different industries and all different uh, walks of life. And at this point, the dollar amount, they're quibbling over the amount. You've got one side saying it should just be healthcare workers so it could be a larger amount, and the other side saying it should be, uh, it should be all the frontline workers and then be a smaller amount. At this point, no amount of money is going to replace the money that a lot of people lost, either having to stay home uh, because they had a quarantine or they didn't have any benefits when they got sick with COVID or whatever the reason is, no amount of money at this time is going to replace it. And like I said at a press conference not too long ago, I said, here's the, here's the reality. We're looking for acknowledgement. Okay, so as far as I'm concerned, it doesn't matter if it's fifty dollars or five hundred or five thousand. It's acknowledgement, and and that's what makes it so frustrating. Is they're quibbling over a few hundred dollars, whether it be three hundred dollars or I think if you if you only did the healthcare workers, it'd be twelve hundred dollars. To me, it's it's the fact that they can't they can't come together on something like this and get it done to show the appreciation for our work. Because here's the thing is that right now, we could use a boost to our morale, okay? It's really hard to stay positive. And when we're in, working in the conditions we are, 
And this would be a real shot in the arm, and excuse my pun, but it would be it would be a real boost to our morale uh, to have the government acknowledge us. And so I, I'm very frustrated that it, that it, they can't seem to solve this. Mary, you've been so generous with your time today. Uh, any final thoughts? No, just as, you know, from my perspective, and whatever reason that somebody uh, doesn't want to get the shot or doesn't want to wear a mask or doesn't want to social distance or do whatever they need to do to get, get us out of this pandemic, just remember that the nurses are there for you. I'm there for you at the bedside if you come into my floor. We're there for you no matter what. And, um, it, you know, from my perspective, I just, the, the suffering and the pain that I've seen the last 20 months, um, I personally want an end to it. Um, and I just, um, just I just want people to know that we do care for them no matter what, and we're there for them no matter what, but we do need to get out of this. We do need to end this pandemic, and everyone needs to do whatever they can to help do that. Thanks again to my guest, Mary Turner, president of the Minnesota Nurses Association. Back to you, Scott. Thank you, Tasha. We'll have more Minnesota Matters after this. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. I'm Scott Peterson. For the first time in two years, the St. Paul Winter Carnival will introduce a new royal family. As a result of the pandemic, King Boreas and his court have served since their coronation in January 2020. So now it's time to search for the next Aurora, Queen of the Snows. I spoke this week with the current queen, Kirsten Knudsen, about what folks can expect at this year's Winter Carnival. You have been uh, the Queen of Snows for an extended period of time. Uh, Can you explain a little bit about that and and why that is? Yes. So in January of 2020, we were selected um, to be a part of the royal family and represent the St. Paul Winter Carnival. Um, And then just... Probably about a month and a half after that, um, COVID-19 kind of took over and took storm. And so we were pulled off the streets um, and town festivals, out-of-state festivals, everything kind of shut down. So we were not able to do um, a lot. We were still able to do like birthday parades and kind of drive-by parades. And then um, the St. Paul Festival and Heritage Foundation their board who houses St. Paul Winter Carnival, they um, opted us to do, if we would like to, to do one more year um, so that we can get the same experience that others in the past have had. So that's why we were able to go two years. How did that uh, extension impact and the pandemic, how did that impact what your responsibilities are during that time? What are are some of the things that you're doing and, and how may it have been different as a result of the pandemic? Yeah, so... I think our responsibilities were pretty, pretty much the same um, throughout the time. I think our creativity definitely had to increase just being creative of how can we still get our face and our name and our mission out to communities. Um, So we did a lot more um, activities and events virtually that we probably would have never had before, um, which was a really cool experience because I think we were able to reach more people as well, um, which was really cool. I think just the time commitment piece, I think everybody in our royal family took on a huge, um, a huge task by not only doing this one year, but two years, um, kind of making sure we keep our schedules open and going to things that we can. Um, And I feel like that made us 
all appreciate the events we had a little bit more just because we knew how quickly it could all be taken away um, and kind of as out of our control. We can't, if we could, we would stop global pandemics, but we don't have that power. So um, I think it just made us appreciate it a little, appreciate all the events just a little bit more than we already did. And, and this year, fingers crossed, I mean, uh, every day seems to be different, but it seems like we're, we're sort of moving in the direction of getting things somewhat back to normal, and that includes the Winter Carnival. Talk a little bit about uh, where we are in the process getting ready for that. I know some of us have already turned our heat on, so we're getting closer for mm -hmm. sure. Yes, winter is coming, um, and we are super excited for that. Um, we are in the process right now. Candidate applications are actually due... I think they're due November 5th. Um, so candidate applications for the Queen of Snows and the Royal Ladies. So we're already looking for candidates. We're already recruiting for candidates. We've already heard um, a few who are really excited and we'd love to invite as many more as we can. Um, last night, we just celebrated um, the Order of the Royal Guard. So our Royal Guards kind of protect us and protect the realm. Um, we just announced an, our new captain, which is very exciting for next year. Um, we have a prime minister, so pieces and characters are starting to fall into place, which is really exciting, kind of ramping up to this carnival season um, in January. And Kirsten, if we have listeners out there who might be considering uh, being elected to Queen of Snows, what yeah. would you say to encourage them? I mean, what are some of the benefits? Yes, so... One of the biggest benefits that I find out of this is just the network of people that you connect with. Um, Winter Carnival spreads very far and um, it's kind of a, not a joke, but once you get into Carnival and you start connecting with people or people outside of Carnival, you realize everybody's connected in one way or another. Somebody knows somebody. And so that's always really great, um, especially if you're a business owner um, or just a professional who's looking to network with different professionals or individuals. Um, that's always a great opportunity to do that. So personally and kind of professionally, that's the benefit that you get. Um, but personally, I find it really cool. This is our festival this year. We will be celebrating the 136th year of our festival. We are the longest reigning festival in the United States. Um, we beat out the Tournament of Roses, I think, by two years. So um, just to make your mark on history and be a part of history is really, really cool. Um, so that's, for me personally, what I really love out of it. And just, like I said, the connections that I make with different people. My social circle has gotten so much bigger. Um, and you're, I'm just fielded with support almost everywhere I go, which is really helpful. I think a lot of us are clamoring for opportunities to, to go to some of these events that we missed out on last year. What can folks expect at the Winter Carnival this year? Yes. So I know with COVID still, a lot of details aren't finalized yet. Um, but from the conversations that I've heard or that I've had with our board um, or board members is they're looking to try to bring back the typical winter carnival. Um, so we're looking to have the snow sculptures that are usually put on by the Vulcan organization, Fire and Brimstone. Um, and we're looking to have those ice sculptures too back. Um, we're hoping back in Rice Park um, that we put on. So that stuff will be there. And I think we're also trying to incorporate again, a lot of virtual events. I think we had a lot of really good success with those with families. Um, it does get really cold sometimes. And sometimes it's not always fun to go outside. Um, but having those virtual opportunities is really helpful too. So that's something that we can look forward to. Um, if you go to wintercarnival.com, 
that's a great website that hosts um, houses all of our events on there. It also shows how to get involved if somebody's looking to get involved either as um, a royal lady candidate, a Klondike Kate, any of the gentleman roles, um, anything like that, or even just joining our board. So that would be a good place to look as well for events coming up. Thank you to my guest, Aurora Queen of Snows, Kirsten Knudsen. Minnesota Matters will return after this. So you see, son, good manners are very, very important. Someday, many years from now, when you're a grown-up, you'll be a man. And when you are, you should be a gentleman. Do you want me to go through it one more time? Yes. Yes, please. Yes, please. Exactly. Always say please, thank you, you're welcome, and excuse me. Sit up straight, hold doors open for ladies. If a door's shut, then knock first. Don't burp, don't swear, don't speak with your mouth full, don't reach across people's plates, keep your elbows off the table. What table? And don't interrupt. While we're at it, don't stare, don't use foul language, don't call people names, but do remember people's names. Always share your toys, play nice, and cover your mouth when you cough or sneeze. On the bus, give up your seat to anyone who has trouble standing. Bottom line, treat others the way you'd like to be treated. Got it? Got it. And stop picking your nose. Most parenting is hard to do in just two minutes. But spending just two minutes twice a day making sure they brush their teeth is easier and could help save them from a lifetime of tooth pain. For fun two-minute videos to watch while brushing, visit 2min2x.org. That's 2min2x.org. A message from the Partnership for Healthy Mouths, Healthy Lives, and the Ag Council. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. The Golden Gopher football team has had some recent success and is contending in the Big Ten West division. One of the homegrown contributors is Axel Rushmeyer, who was a walk-on offensive lineman and is now playing a lot. Rushmeyer is from Hutchinson, Minnesota, and attending Holy Family Catholic in Victoria. He spoke with MN Sports Director Mike Grimm about how much he's enjoying the season. I would say this is the most fun I've been I've had playing football. Uh, probably my whole life, just being able to move around on the line, play more positions than one. Uh, fullback is always awesome. Just uh, lower the head and go through someone is always fun to do. Uh, playing tight end, getting to play with Co and Sam and Daniel on the edge there and just be able to wipe people down is always, it's awesome. It's amazing. Yeah, and as you, uh, I remember, was it the first time maybe at Colorado you lined up as a fullback and got the uh, touchdown uh, for Trey and then last week as well. Um, what's that like? Uh, and then also as a tight end, which is maybe not uh, normal uh, in terms of your positioning here in college. Well, fullback's a little different. Just we've never had that here uh, with this staff, I, sh- I should say. They had a little bit before, but um, there's not anybody that's a specific fullback coach. So they kind of rely on multiple people, Calla- Coach Callahan, Coach Burns, Coach Sanford chips in too. Even be able to talk to Tanner and see like what he's thinking, uh, thinking what Kai and Bryce and Bucky are thinking. Um, just being able to mix our heads and get together and figure out what would be the best uh, approach to that is, uh, I think, what, what makes the play so successful. Uh, tight end, uh, being able to play Y and F, is I think it's a huge asset to our team just being able to mix all kinds of people around. Um, we can even get to heavier personnel where Sam can play the Y and I'll play the F and Cole will be in at the Z. And it'll be awesome for us just to have those big bodies out there that love moving people. So uh, I would say that those formations give us a, a good advantage being able to mix up our looks. And then we can always go back to five alignment sets and put the, the faster skilled players out there as they say so uh, just being able to mix around different personnel and different looks formations and stuff like that is what keeps defenses on their toes and helps us uh, move the ball down the field. 
last week over 300 rushing yards, two backs over 100. Obviously, you were a part of that both as a tight end, as an offensive lineman, and then as a fullback on the touchdown. How much uh, satisfaction do you guys take up front in having a day like that? I mean, the name of the game for an offensive lineman is rushing the ball, keeping the quarterback clean. But uh, your favorite play as an offensive lineman is always a run just because you get to initiate the contact instead of sitting back and taking it. So it's so, it's so awesome to see Bucky and Kai do well. And even Bryce last week, the week before that, he had over 100 too. So those guys work their tails off every day in the weight room in the summers ever since January. Since they got here on campus, those guys, a lot of those running backs just shut their mouth and work, and that's a really admirable trait. You're from Hutchinson, Minnesota. You went to Holy Family. Uh, take us through kind of your background. A Minnesota kid, you decided to stay home. Um, let's talk about that first, your decision to be a gopher. Um, so coming out of high school, I didn't have – a ton of offers. I, I don't think I actually I don't think I had any offers to be honest with you. But uh, my dad played here. He played uh, 86 to 88, so three years here. Um, there's a lot of guys here that he's played with, like Norris Norris. I knew coming in. Uh, being able to play uh, just for my dad's alma mater is really awesome. Being able to go to the same school my parents did and be able to stay home close to family. Anytime there's a home game. Uh, a bunch of my relatives are also in state, so I get to see them. Instead, if I would have gone to a, a coastal school, I wouldn't be able to see them as much. Uh, it's always nice getting my mom's home cooking. Can't, <laughs> I'll never complain about that. So I think just being able to be around the same people, my family, my friends, and being able to support my high school when I get a chance and being able to be an example for kids like that go there because not many peop people from my school. It's a small school. I think I graduated with 60s, 70-some, so... Just being able to show them uh, a road, a path that they could take, an example is always, it's, it's an awesome thing. And your brother Jackson now is joining. Yeah. I haven't really said this aloud very much, but Jackson's kind of a mini-me. He's like on the same path going as on me. I wouldn't say he's not the same person to me as all, at all. But he came to the Holy Family the same year I did, or two years after I did. We have the same birthday, two years apart. Wow. So he came two years after I did, and then he... Started as a freshman, worked his way up, and then got a walk-on role here as well. So, and he's just he's working his tail off as well to uh, show what he can do and show his spot. And hopefully, he in the next few years, next year, he can uh, make the next step. So, yeah, that's 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 fun, no doubt about it. How do you think uh, the town of Hutchinson and your high school holy family kind of shaped you as as to the guy you are now? I would say the biggest thing that shaped me from those two places are the people that I was surrounded with. Uh, Hutchinson is a very blue-collar, like, put-your-head-down-and-work kind of place. A lot of factory workers in Hutchinson that like to just work, go home, and enjoy their families. So I think a lot of those values I learned from Hutchinson were how important work ethic is and how important your family is and being around those people as much as possible. I would say Holy Family really did a great job in shaping my faith, being able to get that more interacted in my daily life instead of just on the weekends at church. So I would say that the people that I met there definitely assisted in me getting to where I am today through a lot of the coaching I received. A lot of the teachers there I'm still friends with to this day and still talk to when I go back there. So I'd say the biggest thing is having the people in your life that will uh, be with you through the thick and thin and be able to guide you in areas that you may not be as familiar with as they are, they were or have been. That's Gopher offensive lineman Axel Rushmeyer with MNN Sports Director Mike Grimm. That is going to do it for us for this week. Thank you for listening, and please tune in again next week for Minnesota Matters on this MNN station.